0: and listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones so there's some gold in there radio on with the show Hi everyone I just wanted to pop in at the top of the episode with two very quick announcements now today I am talking to Hannah Brown about cybersecurity and we mentioned at the end, but I wanted to put it on your radar up front, that she is running a free workshop, Building Cyber Resilience. It's on Friday the 29th of January. Yes, in two days' time, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, at 12.30. There's a link in the show notes, and I highly recommend you get along to that. Secondly, my board accelerator program, Early Bird, closes this Friday. So if you want to be part of it, their morning group is already full. At the time of recording, there's still a couple of spots left in the other groups. So, if you want to be part of it, get on it quick, basically. Right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halja Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting. Yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today, on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Hannah Brown about cybersecurity. First, let me tell you about Hannah. Hannah is on the board of Greenpeace Australia Pacific and she's the chair of the nominations committee, which is how I first met her a couple of years ago. She also reports into an advisory board as the managing director of Midnight City. Hannah is a technology leader, an entrepreneur, and is now building her fifth tech company, Midnight City. For 15 years, she has worked on strategic transformation initiatives with startups, scale-ups, and innovative enterprises, helping you build high-performance teams and progressive, digital-first, human-centric organisations. Her core skills are in technology leadership, organisational development, building high-performance culture, and influencing for change. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Hannah. Thanks, Helia. It's great to be here. So, Hannah, as always, before we get into this conversation about cybersecurity, tell me, what's something from the last month or so that you're proud of?
1: Oh, look, uh, as you know, uh, being on the nominations committee with me at Greenpeace, we've been pretty busy over the last month. Um, one of the things that has been amazing and really buoyed my confidence coming into 2021 as we move past, or hopefully through, the COVID pandemic, and out the other side of it, we've been looking at potentially engaging some very experienced uh, Pacific Island folk uh, with the Greenpeace organisation around some strategic objectives in that area that we expect to be working on this year and having the opportunity to connect with some incredible cultural leaders from that area of the world around how we can better impact environmental outcomes around climate change has been an absolute, one of the greatest privileges of my career. And, you know, I always imagined I'd be able to make a difference, but being able to make a difference by connecting with people who are deeply experienced and very passionate about issues that I'm also passionate about and and how we can work together to affect great outcomes in regards to those issues has been a real honour, and and something that I only ever imagined I could do, and and it's been it's a it's been a dream coming true really in the last month
0: doing that work on behalf of Greenpeace. So, I mean, that is awesome to hear on so many fronts. Partly because I'm on that nominations committee with you, and it's great to hear that we've got some pretty incredible sounding candidates by the sounds of things. So that's great, and it's one of the things I love about boards is. You get to meet some of these incredible people mm. outside your own kind of world, like you're a tech person, that's mm-hmm. why you're here with us today. Mm-hmm. And through your board role with Greenpeace, there you are talking to you know people from various Pacific islands about climate change and how they might be able to make an impact at Greenpeace. That is awesome. Hannah. We're talking cybersecurity today, and we're talking technology. But you need to imagine, and I know this will be hard for you to imagine, but need to imagine that I'm perhaps know very little about technology. <laughs> so speak to me like I know nothing, which perhaps might actually be the case. But anyway, no problem. <laughs> so cybersecurity, it is on the, you know, it's it's on many a board agenda, or at least on many a board radar. Mm. And at the same time, I know it's something that really intimidates a lot of directors because they feel like they don't know enough about it, you know, much like my introduction there. It's like, oh, I don't know enough about this. Mm. So, where should we begin? What should uh, board members be thinking about in relation to cyber security?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Helya. And I think with the government chale- governance challenges that have emerged over the last couple of years. We've gone from cyber security and culture being relegated to the, the lower order important issues for boards and executive teams to being really elevated, particularly after the Financial Services Royal Commission. Um, cyber security and culture are now kind of the new kids on the block that are, are incredibly high profile topics for boards to be considering and talking about. So... That leaves us with a bit of a conundrum because the boards that I've interfaced with over the last 15 years of my career, there hasn't been a depth of technical talent and capability in the boardroom. Uh, You know, we see a lot of lawyers and a lot of accountants around the board table um, and I think what we will see, as as we've seen in the past ten years, with the uh, women on boards movement from from nine percent of ASX boards ten years ago to twenty nine percent now, which is fantastic, fantastic outcome for everyone involved and people like yourself who've who've been uh, helping fuel that that momentum to drive that outcome. I think over the next five to ten years, we'll see a huge influx of technical capability mm-hmm. into boards, um, as we've seen through COVID and the 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 move to full remote work instantly, tech underpins so much of our organisations, and it did before COVID. It did before we were all working from home and using productivity tools and the internet to remain engaged with our organisations. I think what we need to see over the next five to ten years is a recognition at a governance and board level in Australian organisations of just how important that technology
0: in the governance sphere is. I agree. There's lots of lawyers and accountants generally on boards and a range of other people as well. But it's interesting if we get, I mean, we'll get into what boards need to know about that in a moment. But if, if they have a inverted commas technology person on their board, mm. how do they then, I mean, you're the technology person on the Greenpeace board. Mm. How do you make sure the rest of the board is also with you in the knowledge? Because they can't just outsource the decision-making to, do, to you, just like you can't outsource. You can't look at the finance person and go, so Treasurer, are we okay? Oh, good. Treasurer says we're okay. Mm. So how do you bring the board along in those conversations? Ah, look,
1: as you've taught me so many times through the podcast and uh, and that amazing book by Robin Weatherby, Eyes eyes Wide Open, eyes wide open it, it's all about asking the right questions. So when we're thinking about cybersecurity in our organisations, not only have we got a moral and ethical and a legal obligation to adequately protect our staff our beneficiaries our donors our stakeholders you know we've now also got legislative requirements that around data privacy and protection that are can potentially have a massive liability impact on organisations so thinking about in australia we've got the notifiable data breach scheme which dictates that you need to notify organisations like ASIC and the Australian Government, if you've had a breach of your data, you need to disclose that in a certain amount of time. But more catch-all is the General Data Protection Legislation, which is the the General Data Protection Regulation, which is regulation out of Europe that has considerable implications for organisations in the management and storage and management of
0: user data and personally identifiable information. And my understanding is that even though that's that applies in Europe, if you've got people on your database, for example, from Europe, then it applies to you as well. Indeed. Here in Australia or wherever you may be, the US, whatever. Yeah, that's right. So you need to be aware of those things, even though they're European regulations.
1: Indeed. So from a, a liability perspective, organisations need to be asking these questions. Uh, are we managing our data appropriately? And have we taken the appropriate steps to ensure that we're protected as best as possible from a breach or a cyber attack? So a a cyber attack or a data breach in terms of its impact on an organisation is the first big consideration that you're thinking about is, is staff, beneficiaries and donors, personally identifiable information. So, anyone connected with that organisation, be they customers, be they suppliers, be they donors, if you're a not-for-profit director, internal staff, protecting that that data, having that data out in the wild can lead to potentially disastrous implications for your organisation. If you are subjected to a data breach or a cyber attack, you can expect a significant disruption to your core operations and services in order to manage and recover from this breach. Imagine you lost all of your donors' personally identifiable information and credit card details one day. What sort of people redeployment internally do you need to do? What what work do you have to take people off and put them on to be able to recover from this situation and come back from that? and then of course that you know the key issue for directors here and officers is the exposure of the organization to liability as a result of this uh you you're considering massive tarnish to the organization's brand and reputation And we know that things can move very quickly in the technology space. Uh, Even over the last week, we've seen a huge transition of people from using the the social media platform WhatsApp for texting Mm -hmm. to more secure organisations like Signal, like Telegram. Elon Musk tweeted, you know, just use Signal in response to someone complaining about WhatsApp's new privacy policies, and we saw 25 million people join Telegram and 25 million join Signal in in three days. So the technology landscape can shift that fast. If you are subject to a breach that releases personally identifiable information, particularly payment information for anyone connected with your organisation, you may find that 50, 75, 80% of your donors, your customers, your suppliers abandon you overnight and move to other organisations. I I guess there's probably less, uh, there's less connection to a messaging app than there might be to your favourite charity or organisation, but the ramifications are still dire nonetheless.
0: So you would expect... You know, you would hope all organisations have some sort of cyber attack plan in place, a policy and a plan that would be what they're doing to prevent it and then what happens if it happens, presumably.
1: Absolutely. This would be my advice to any director that's listening out there. At the next board meeting, you want to ask what the policies and processes are around cyber security in your organisation. So for the directors out there who want to be active on engaging with this issue, the key thing that we can do as directors is ask the question. So two critical questions for directors to ask at the board table, do we have the capacity and or the capability to protect our staff, our customers, our suppliers, our beneficiaries, our donors from malicious digital attacks? Do we have that capability in place? The second question is, are we ready to meet the increasingly stringent data privacy standards and regulations, you know, like the GDPR, like the notifiable data breach scheme, and consider the penalties for non-compliance with those? I think those two questions alone could uncover an absolute treasure trove of information around how organisations consider cybersecurity, how they treat digital assets, how they protect the privacy of their stakeholders, all of which directors need to understand to be honouring our fiduciary duty.
0: And so in that for boards to understand it, what's your recommendation around even the structures around that? Like, do you think every board should have a technology subcommittee, for Uh, want of a better word?
1: Well, perhaps not a subcommittee, but at least one person who has a depth of skill and experience in the technological space. To get going, you know, we need to start the conversation around this. It needs to be something that's on the risk register with the other organisational risks as part of the risk and audit committee, perhaps, on any board. And the organisation needs to discuss this across the board, across layers of management. The best place for us to start in any organisational journey around uncovering their current state of cyber readiness is some form of vulnerability assessment. So the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the States has a great framework, NIST, N-I-S-T. There's other cybersecurity frameworks out there working with a trusted security partner to conduct a vulnerability assessment should give the board and the organisation a pretty clear indication how ready they are, what the gaps are, and whenever you're doing these kinds of assessments it's it's really important to consider what good looks like there's no 100% protected when it comes to cybersecurity it can be likened to, to the, the analogy of using condoms. They're not 100% foolproof all the time, but they'll certainly keep you out of a fair degree of trouble, and there's a, a short list I, I'd love to share today with you, if, if you're happy to, um, that directors can use as a bit of a gauge yep. that if you've got these things addressed in your organisation, then you're well on the way to having good resilience already in place. These are things like, do you have a disaster recovery process in place? Do you have two-factor authentication across your organisation for anyone accessing systems with sensitive data? Do you have a policy or a procedure in place for a cyber attack and how you would respond in the event of a cyber attack? Again, this is so important for a director's fiduciary duty to be served. You need these things in place in every organisation. What insurance do you have around cyber security? This one's a bit more technical, but are you monitoring your networks? Midnight City is a a specialist DevOps consultancy, and one of the things that we do is help people with monitoring and logging, which is assessing your tech ecosystem and reporting back measures and metrics on the health of that at any given time. So if you're under attack from a state-based actor who's trying to DDoS your organisation, okay, yeah. Hannah.
0: Yeah, you've got to slow down on some of this technical stuff. DDoS, Talk uh, us the denial
1: is... of service attack. They will hammer some form of login to to access your systems. Yes, and it's called a brute force attack, where they try and bust in the door, basically.
0: Now that we know what a, a DDoS is, go on. The last point I would I
1: would give to directors to ask about at the board table is is what form of ongoing training do we have around cybersecurity for the team? One of the reasons I'm I'm interested in cybersecurity is the social engineering aspect of it, how people get in other people's heads to get login credentials to be either held, you know, to a sort of ransomware attack or the victim of some form of fraud and phishing emails. We all get them all the time, you know, commonly in text messages and emails Uh, asking for private or sensitive information, claiming to be from one of our big banks or a trusted telco provider, that whole aspect of the technology industry, I find absolutely fascinating. And and you can't build systems or firewalls Mm. against human behaviour. So ongoing training and guidance for the entire team around cyber resilience is super critical because if you've got someone who's got access across a broad range of your systems and they're not protecting their password and their access credentials effectively, your organisation could be liable for a massive data breach. These things are are, are crucial and they're not tools that we can implement. They're ways of working when it comes to the humans in our organisations.
0: Yeah. I've heard this a number of times that We're not going to prevent it. As you say, we haven't talked condoms on take on board before, but I I think it's probably a a reasonable analogy in this instance. You can't necessarily prevent it happening. You can minimise it and have in place protections so that it doesn't and training and all of those sorts of things. I know you're not on Facebook, which, you know, I admire greatly, but all those <laughs> stupid surveys that go around on Facebook asking about where you grew up and, you know, what your pet's name was. It's like, oh, you mean the answers to all of those security questions that yes. get asked all the time?
1: hundred percent. That's exactly what they are. We're going through a very painful time in human history right now where we've got these, you know, social media is relatively new to the human race. And I remember the early days of social media when it was hailed as this connector right across the globe and and we've seen it during the Arab Spring how those social media platforms were used to coordinate protests and but the flip side of that is you know we've seen the Trump supporters on Parlor in the, in recent weeks using that to coordinate assaults on American democracy in the capital. Mm. Like these are, at the end of the day, all technology is just tools and they just enable humans to do human things mm. using new tools. So I think we've had a very painful and creaky introduction to social media. And it's one of the effects of that that I despair over is how we shed our data. We do not care seemingly, who knows what about us. We we post stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, on mm. Twitter, on LinkedIn, and all of the other ones that I don't keep up with because I'm not in that space anymore. We just give it away for free. We're, mm. Like it's, it's not important to us at all. And and actually the way AI is coming around now and growing and developing, potentially we're setting ourselves a real rod for our backs, yeah, as we move forward. So I think there'll be a swing back towards privacy. In Mm. my humble opinion, I think people are starting to take digital privacy a little more seriously. And the fact that we have a right to privacy online, we don't We don't need to sign up to be spied on by the social media companies and the big tech giants and have everything, every keystroke we ever enter into our computer or phone recorded so that some organisation can analyse our behaviour and sell us consumer items more effectively. Mm. Uh, I think we'll see a swing away from that over the next couple of years because I I don't think it's necessarily very healthy or supports a really robust, psychologically well-adjusted human race.
0: So if there is a swing back to privacy, like I think for organisations or for board members of organisations, there's two sides to that. One is that hopefully that means the individuals that work within that organisation become more careful about their data Mm. so that it makes it a bit safer. Mm -hmm. But what should the organisations themselves be thinking about in terms of potentially a swing back to privacy or, you know, for those organisations that are on LinkedIn, that are on Twitter, that are on Facebook, that are on Instagram... What what should they be thinking about?
1: Look, great question. When Edward Snowden revealed some years ago now that the NSA was collaborating with tech giants to covertly surveil both foreign and domestic residents of the United States and and all kinds of people all across the globe, I was working at ThoughtWorks at the time. They were heavily involved in a in a global response to online data privacy. And one of the things that ThoughtWorks talked a lot about at the time was be sensitive about the information that you're collecting. So as an example, every now and then I'll do yoga at a yoga studio in Northcote, not very far from here. To do yoga at that studio, they want my first name, my surname, my phone number, my email address, whether I've got any previous injuries and a a laundry list of other questions, which if you step back for a second and think about it, why does a yoga studio need to know that about me for me to be able to do yoga? It's not appropriate. It's disproportionate to the services provided for organisations. And this is probably more for the management team than the directors. Be really conscious and cognizant about the information and data that you are collecting. Do you need that information from those customers to effectively deliver that service. Now, what I've personally seen in the last five years, which is a symptom of the environment that we are in and the place and time in history that we are in is this land grab for data. <laughs> every organisation has seen Google and Facebook monetize customer data and sell advertising space and commercialise that incredibly effectively. And so now you've got every organisation in the world scrambling to find out everything they can about everyone who interacts with their organisation so that they can feed it into the AI machine and get in inverted commas, insights out the other end, which is how can we monetize this relationship more effectively. That, to me, is dangerous. It's set a, a precedent that's disproportionate to being able to provide the services that we need. And I think, you know, for me, I, I deeply respect organisations who only collect the data that they need. Even just in relation to this cyber security event that we're running uh, on the 29th of January, in putting together the form for collecting the information for that, I'm thinking very deliberately about what's the minimum I need from anyone who would like to listen to this workshop, this seminar, so that we can provide that service. Mm. I don't want more information than I absolutely need to provide that service. That's the paradigm shift of thinking, I guess, is not let's take, as an organisation, there's this idea of let's take everything we can get. And I think that's I don't think it's appropriate, and I think it's wrong, and it's dangerous. I think we need to be thinking about what we need to provide the best service and respect the rights to privacy that our customers and stakeholders have.
0: All that additional data brings additional risk for organisations because if you lose it all, that's right. Yeah. And I remember when
1: JP Morgan's hack happened a few years ago now and I just shook my head and I thought, well, if JP Morgan can't get this right with all of the resources and the money and the the capability that they would have inside those four walls, like every organisation is vulnerable to attack in some way, shape or form. And it's not a case of if, it's Mm. a case of when. Mm. So as directors, we need to be prepared and being prepared for me goes right back to what are the decisions we make around the data that we collect in the first
0: place? Yeah, great point. Oh, Hannah, I knew this would happen. We're coming to the end of the time. So what are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today?
1: Look, thanks, Helia, and it's been a real pleasure to be here. For me, the questions around that directors need to ask around the board table is the critical thing here. So, do we have the capacity and or the capability to protect our staff, our customers, our stakeholders, our suppliers, our beneficiaries, our donors from malicious digital attacks? And are we ready to meet the data privacy standards and regulations, so the GDPR and the notifiable data breach scheme, and the penalties associated for non-compliance. If every board in Australia asked those two questions over the next couple of months, we could potentially prepare our whole economic landscape to be more resilient to cyber attacks. And the way technology is exponentially evolving this problem isn't going to go away. It's always going to be an arms race. It's always going to be about protecting yourself as effectively as you can for the environment and landscape at the time. And that's going to
0: require vigilance and ongoing investment. Well, that's very handy for me, Hannah. I'm just about to join the finance and IT committee of one of my boards and uh, I can turn up with a couple of questions at the next committee meeting to ask about that. So thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Great advice for me. So, can you recommend a resource for the take on board community?
1: Uh, look, uh, Midnight City is running a cyber resilience seminar for it is specifically for non-profit directors but I suggest for organizations and boards that don't have a depth of technical capability on the board there will be learnings there for for every director. We're running that on the 29th of January at 1230 and I can give you a link for the show notes for people to who anyone who's
0: interested to register. That would be fantastic and registering of course with only the minimum amount of information required. That's right. No fishing going on here. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Hannah. That has been so useful. As I say, I know technology and cybersecurity is on the radar for, well, hopefully, every organisation. And I know that it is something that, uh, well, intimidates the hell out of many directors. So I think that's provided such a fabulous summary for directors to think about at the board table and uh, to look clever, which is fantastic. So thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. Thanks for having me, Helia. Hi there, it's Halia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.